Happy Daylight Savings Day to you. Uh, I, my, my parents started uh, uh, two churches, actually, when I grew up, so I'm, 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 I've been in ministry for a long time, and I know for many, many years, like being in a family of, you know, pastor family, that, that sort of thing, it's always, oh, Daylight Savings is coming up. We've got to tell everybody, wake up an hour earlier. But now we all have these phones that just kind of, like, let us know. Um, by the way, if you have an old Android phone, you heard the message on that. They don't want old Apple phones, in case you're wondering. Um, so be that as it may. Sorry, Apple people. I'm not trying to, we're not trying to take a dig. But um, if you have your Bibles, open up to James chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 17. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. And while you're doing that, I just wanted to share, uh, you know, I had a, a, it's good to be back well, uh, if you were here last week, you probably heard that Cindy and I are away the previous week visiting a, a church in Atlanta, one of our partner churches. They were putting on uh, what they call their MOVE conference, their missions conference, where they brought about 50 or so missionaries that they support across the globe, including here in, in the U.S., church planners, our, ourselves being uh, one of those. So it was a great time. They, they, they did put us to work, I'll say that. You hit the ground running, and they seemed to forget that we were on uh, West Coast time, even though we're in Atlanta, all that. But uh, lots of tabling, lots of conversations, a lot of, lot of talks, a lot of uh, reporting, all that sort of thing. Uh, it's always really interesting in environments like these because when people come up and they hear that we're starting a church or have started a church in the Silicon Valley, nine times out of ten, remember this is the Bible Belt, when people come up, they're like, really? A church start in the Silicon Valley? Like, Christians exist there? Uh, you know, people are open to, to Christianity, and uh, it's always fun because in those conversations, we get to answer with a resounding yes. People are very much open, and while folks might be turned off by churchianity, if I can call it that, uh, people are very much are open to and responding to Christ, uh, and they still looked at us like we were aliens, like, I don't get it, I don't, um, but it's, it's, it's it, no, that's not true, they're really happy at that point, um, but it's, it's, it's a good reminder for me and then hopefully a good reminder for us as a church as I, as I share this, um, that there are a lot of churches who are behind the scenes supporting us through prayer, financially, such that current would not exist today the way it is if not for God working through them. So we thank God for churches like that. And really our prayer is that uh, in, 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 in good time, we will not just be a church that is self-sustaining, but we are a church like that multiplying ourselves and, and uh, equipping and, and serving other churches and other gospel movements uh, here in the Bay Area and beyond. Um, okay, so we're going to be looking at verses uh, 13 through 17 of James chapter 4. I've already prayed, so let's just get right into it. This is James writing to the early church. He said, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to, to do this or that in this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money, why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Uh, here's what really struck me uh, this week about the text that's in front of us, about the topic. Uh, it is such a seemingly mundane topic, such a seemingly ordinary topic, that I think it, it would be really easy for us to just miss entirely in terms of something we need to take seriously. I mean, it's like so pervasive in terms of our daily lives that we could just miss the, the, this understanding that James wants to impart to us that it's something we need to take seriously. It's kind of like that classic idea if you were able to ask a fish 
to describe water to you. Like they say, they would have no idea how to describe water just because it's completely enveloped in water. Uh, The topic before us is something so ordinary that we could easily miss it being something to take seriously. And here's the topic. How and why we go about making plans. How and why we go about planning for the future. That's something we are all doing all the time. Now, when it comes to the kind of the messages we get about the future, it seems to me that our culture generally has about two. That's just, it's, it's speaking to us. Two messages about the future coming at us from our culture. The first comes from advertisements, and it's the message about the future of you can do anything, you know, especially if you buy our product. You can do anything. You're the captain of your own life. The future is yours. Um, the other message, it seems to me, in our culture about the future is from the news, and that is essentially, well, you're all going to die. You know, life is so hard. Life is so challenging. Uh, you know, my, my father-in-law used to specifically watch a certain news program at the end of the day, one of these nightly news programs, that, that had this whole deal where at the end of the news uh, program, they were going to end with something positive. Darn it, we're going to end with something positive. All the other news stations didn't do that. He's like, I can't watch the other side. I just got to watch this one because I know there's going to be some positive thing at the end of this. Uh, you know, just so much of, of that out there in terms of these two messages, either one just saying, hey, life is just really full of suffering and you can't avoid it, it's dangerous, or the world is yours, just go it. Um, I don't know where you fall at in terms of that spectrum, but the Bible's perspective is quite different when it comes to looking at the future because the gospel tells us for the person who trusts Jesus, for the one who follows Jesus, you are neither the captain of your destiny nor a captive to your circumstance but under the care of God. So what does that mean? Okay, as James kind of lays this out here, uh, lays it out here for us, how should we, uh, how should this shape the reality for how we go about making plans for the future, something we, we just do all the time? How should we have a right perspective when it comes to making plans and thinking about our future? James gives us three things. We're going to see how we need to accept our limitations. We're going to need to lean on God's will more than our own, and we're going to see that we need to be flexible. Okay, so we'll just work our way through these. Number one, James shows us that we need to accept our limitations. So if you look at verses 13 and 14, he says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go and do this uh, or, or, or go to that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. This whole idea of accepting our limitations is really difficult. You know, this last week in the news cycle, uh, two major events, two events happened that really shook people to their core. I wonder if you, you saw this. Uh, we found out that Luke Perry passed away, sadly. Uh, 90210, heartthrob, if you remember him. And then, uh, and then we found out that uh, Alex Trebek was diagnosed with late-stage pancreatic cancer. Alex Trebek, of course, being the host of, of Jeopardy. Um, and you know, every given week or other week, there's something in the, in the news, of course, that's something to this effect, losing someone that we all know or, or whatever it might be. And it's sad. But these two, it seems to me, have had a particular kind of uh, uh, shaking in the world, uh, at least among a certain generation. If you don't know Luke Perry, it's, chances are you didn't grow up in the 90s so much. Uh, some of you are like, Luke Perry? I don't know. Okay. Um, but for, especially for those who lived in, in, in a specific cl- time, the blogosphere, the social media, it's lighting up with people wrestling with their own mortality. 
I mean, Alex Trebek is, is up there in age, but Luke Perry and, and even just kind of the, the icon of a figure that Alex Trebek has been, it's just people are just, they're wrestling with their own mortality. And there's this reality that, we're, we're, that they're wrestling with, we need to wrestle with, that we aren't limitless in ways that our culture tends to make us believe. It's really easy to believe that we're limitless in our culture, is, is it not? I mean, think about the, the technology at our hands. We can essentially be anywhere with anyone at any time on our phones, um, but we are not limitless, and James is shaking uh, uh, us into reality, even with a little bit of sarcasm here, if, if you saw it in his wording. He's basically saying, are you kidding me? You're making plans, and you're going about it the way you are, and you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. Now, to be clear, James is not saying we aren't to plan. He's not, he's not saying don't plan, okay? Uh, so for all of you J-types on the Myers-Briggs, you planners, like you can, you know, anxiety levels can come down. It's okay to plan, and we'll talk about that. You're not going to have to bring up your calendar to the altar and, like, sacrifice it. You might have to do something of that variety, but that's not what we're talking about. And for those of you guys who aren't planners, you're sitting there like, I like this sermon. Hey, we're, we'll come back to you too, okay? James is not saying, he's not against planning. He's against presumption. He's against a rigid way of thinking. He's against a self-determined, self-confident type person who thinks they have it all in their grasp, who has it, who has it all in their control what is going to happen. Uh, and it can become, and it turns folks, even incidentally, not, not even real, really realizing it, into a bit of, of self-righteousness. I mean, look at verse 13 again. James is talking about somebody who knows so with such certainty, when things will happen, where they will happen, and with what outcome. Today I will go to that city, and I will do this, and I will make profit. As if our own determination and ability are the only factors, as if we have within ourselves all we need to be successful, and as if profiting from our plans is life's sole objective. We see then, do we not, church family, that the people James is describing here is ourselves not just the church 2,000 years ago, because we just establish so much of our plans based on our own ability, and we go about doing things so often without a fundamental reference to our basic limitations that even common sense would show us. James is exposing an attitude of pretension, and he's really doing that in two ways. He's saying, well, a couple ways. He's He's saying life is precious, life is fragile, and life is short. Verse 14, he says, what is your life? You are a vapor, some of your translations may say. You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. I don't know if any of you guys have read up on Alexander the Great and the history of him. He had a very interesting way of making requests right before his funeral. On his deathbed, he made three very unusual requests about how he wanted his funeral to be uh, uh, enacted out. He said, number one, I want physicians to be the ones carrying my coffin. That's kind of weird, especially given being a war hero. You'd think that that honor would be reserved for, for his soldiers. He said, I want physicians to carry my coffin. Number two, I want taken from my war treasury, I want treasures, I want rubies just kind of scattered around as my coffin is carried. Okay, As if that weren't weird enough, those two things. The third thing he said was the weirdest of all. He said, and I want my hand perched out of the coffin as I go out. And so, you know, everybody in the room were told, was like not going to ask him because he's Alexander the Great, right? And everybody's like, but why would we do this? So eventually, one of his generals kind of leans over and says, hey, of course, we're going to do whatever, whatever you ask. But, but why these things? He said, well, 
uh, when it comes to the physicians carrying the coffin, I want them to carry it because I want, them, I want people to realize that a physician cannot really cure people's illnesses. Especially in the face of death, he said, they are powerless. And then concerning the, the scattering of his treasure, he said, I want people to learn to treasure their lives. I spent my whole life pursuing wealth, but I was wasting my time most of the time. And then concerning his hand, uh, just perched, leaning out of the coffin, he said, I, I want people to understand that in the same way I came into this world, I'm going to leave it. Um, we need to be reminded of our limitations, James is saying. And I think for us, as we kind of understand this, try to understand what this means for us, now the reasons for this are at least twofold. Number one, understanding our limitations will humble us. Okay, uh, it w- if, if we're honest about how much we really and truly don't know that will change our character and attitude in our daily life. Um, I'm the kind of guy, I don't know if you are, where I'm just like, I, I need to get to places on time. Okay, a lot of it's in the Silicon Valley. You don't need to get on time because like work starts at 10 o'clock. You stay forever, but it's like there's, okay, I don't, I don't know where you are, but I'm the kind of person where I feel I really want to get on time, and if I'm on time, I'm a little behind. So I'm like constantly watching my, my, my watch, and in our, in our family, I'm the one who's just kind of, so, you know, paying attention, right? And if we aren't going to be on time, I'm stressed out. And if we don't get there on time, I become impatient. I get, you know, I have to, there has to be a cooling off for David, period. I need to like, and if I'm going to a church function, I'm praying like, Lord, I know I'm not, all that sort of thing. That's that's kind of me. Uh, There are a few things that reveal the condition of the heart, like the disruption of plants. Um, I feel like we can understand a little bit about ourselves in terms of the disruption of our plans, in terms of, in terms of where our heart is at. And in understanding our limitations, it will humble us. I mean, you know, I was flying back from Atlanta, and there were thunderstorms at the time. It's amazing when a flight is delayed or canceled, how we will just go and shout at that person behind the computer screen if they're responsible for the weather. You know, it's just we need to understand that there's often, uh, that disruption of plans can really show us where our hearts are at. So you, you might have thought 2009 would have gotten off to a better start. You might have thought that a relationship would be going a certain way or turn out a certain way, but so far it hasn't. You might have thought your job would be over here or you would have gotten a certain promotion, but things haven't gone that way so far. When that happens, uh, let's be honest with ourselves. What is going on in our hearts? What, what is happening on the inside? Because for so many of us, the source of frustration or anger or maybe even sadness, and that's not to say sadness is, is bad in and of itself, but for so many of us, the source of these feelings underneath it is because we had always thought that we were in control. Um, but are we? Here's the thing I, I've learned about suffering, is suffering doesn't make you lose control. It makes you realize that you were never in control to begin with. Um, and it often takes a moment of suffering to help us realize that. So f- for starters here, we need to let this truth of our limitation humble us. But number two, we need to let it help us. Uh, understanding that we are, we are, we are finite and, and not limitless uh, will help us. Have you, have you thought it this way, that uh, it might actually be good for us that we don't know the future? You know, like let's say you were just getting ready, and let's use an example here, that you were getting ready to come into a ton of cash in 2020, right? Just let's say a couple million dollars, right? How would that affect you in the short term? Like seriously, how would that affect you? My guess is you might become a little arrogant. You might become a little unbearable. Oh, I'm, I'm going to be doing just fine then, so I'm just going to kick it up and, and relax. 
Uh, you, it might change the way you go about doing things morally. For instance, a classic example of this is when we are young, uh, you know, we have plans to, say, get married down the road or, you know, settle down and have a family down the road. So now I'm going to experiment. So now I'm just going to live life as, I, as however I want. Um, Jesus shares a parable that, that is in many ways uh, parallels what James is talking about here. J- uh, Jesus said a parable, which is really a simple, uh, straightforward spiritual story of a man who became really rich all of a sudden. And after getting really rich, he said, you know what, I'm going to double down. I'm going to buy some bigger storehouses, bigger barns to store my wealth and create more wealth for me. But Jesus ends the parable saying this, but God said to this man, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And then Jesus draws this conclusion. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Um, we might realize that we're going to come into something, and that would actually be good not necessarily to know that for ourselves here now, but we might actually also see something down in the future, and it, it would make us despondent or even in great despair. Uh, some of you might actually be there right now. You thought 2019 was going to be different. You thought your job was going to be different. There's great despondence there. It will help us in terms of not necessarily knowing the future and helping us in the here and now, but it will also help us realize what matters most. You know, nobody on their deathbed says, bring forth my LinkedIn profile. I would like to read, you know. No one says, hey, bring, bring me... Bring me my list of material gain. I mean, I'm not trying to knock these things. I'm not trying to say it's bad to pursue such things. I'm just saying that what's most important in life, understanding our limitations will help us in that. Luke Perry, for instance, so I was reading up on Luke Perry. I don't know what time in his life he said this because his, his stroke is how he passed away. came up, I think, all of a sudden. But, but basically at one point, somebody had asked him about this fame and just what it meant to be a, a big-time actor. And he basically responded, he said, you know, being famous and being this kind of actor is cool and all, but really what's most important in life is, are the people around me. You know? And I think for the believer, the most important of all is our relationship with God. Psalm 90, verse 13, a psalm that's meant a lot to me over the years, uh, going back especially to when Cindy's dad, who became second dad to myself, passed away and went to be with the Lord. Psalm 90, verse 13 says, Teach us to number our days aright, that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Um, the only way we can do this to ha- is to start with the perspective of life is precious, life is short, it is fragile, and we are not ultimately in control. So James encourages us to accept our limitations. But number two, looking at verse 15, he says we need to lean on God's will more than our own. So verse 14 raises the question, what is your life? And in verse 15, he essentially gives us that answer, more or less saying there is a God and your life is from him. So in verse 13 and 14, he says you go about making your plans, you do it this way and that. Verse 15 says instead, so if you're the underlying type or the highlighting type, that, that word's an important one here. He's like there's another option. He said, instead, say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Again, he's not against planning, plan. Um, But say, recognize, if it is the Lord's will. James is saying there is a God. He is the creator. He is the sustainer of life. But the question we need to ask ourselves, if we're followers of his, is is that settled in our hearts? Um, That he is the creator, that he is the sustainer. We all have hashtag life goals, right? We all have them, whether it's to get into a certain 
you know, university, whether it's to get a certain career, whether it's to meet that certain special someone, whether it's to settle down in such way or, or whatever. We all have these things. And how do we go about positioning ourselves for that? I mean, we just, we, we make our way. We, we, you know, when it comes to our school, we do this or that. And we, for the special someone, we, we try to put ourselves in this or that environment. We, we do all of these things for the, for the career goals. We maybe raise funds or whatever. We go at them, but if we go after them blindly, um, we can easily do this as we make our plans, move God from the center to the peripheral. Um, God not being in the center of our lives, but to the side. Um, but what James is saying here to the believer is, if our life is from him, our life is for him. And so he says, for the believer, we need to recognize our plans. In, 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 in our plans, we need to recognize if God wills. Now, he's not giving us a magic formula here, okay? Superstitious thing that we just need to tack on, you know, in order to receive a blessing. Um, what he's doing is he's giving us a posture of heart. Even though these words are important, he's giving us a logic here. He's saying, if our lives are contingent upon God, so then should our plans be. If our lives, if, if the very breath that we, the very air that we breathe is contingent upon God, shouldn't our plans be as well? Um, I, I think I've shared this from the stage before, but I had a, a professor in seminary who had a big impact on me for any number of ways, a preaching professor, uh, very, very influential African-American civil rights preacher guy, just commanding presence, just a really uh, spirit-filled dude. And he would always start our preaching class with prayer. But instead of saying, God, please bless this preaching class, um, he would almost always say, okay, everybody, close your eyes. Father, thank you for the air that fills our lungs. And then you take a big breath in. And then he'd stand there in this prayer for 30 seconds, which if you want to count, it feels like eternity. And then he'd say, amen. And I get what he was doing. He was just trying to calm us before we came into preaching class to try to settle our hearts and understand what we're getting ready to do. He was also teaching me, teaching all of us an invaluable lesson that is, not to take life for granted, that life is precious, that the air that is in, that fills our lungs is not promised to us. You know, we woke up this morning breathing in the breath of life. That's not promised to us. It, the breath of air tomorrow is not promised to us. Um, there's some great examples of this kind of language in the scriptures. I love the book of Acts. If, if you've never read the book of Acts, it's a great book in the Bible that basically chronicles all of the events that happened in the early church after Jesus rise, uh, rises um, to life and goes, goes up into heaven. We see the church just, just get going. And the second half of the, of the book of Acts really follows. It's kind of a travelogue of the Apostle Paul as he's starting all these new churches. Well, as he's going around doing all these, uh, these new church starts, he uses this language in his plans. I mean, he's making plans left and right. Acts 18, he says, uh, it says, when a church asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if God if it is God's will. Then to the early church in the Greek city of Corinth, he said, I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing. And then here's the coolest of the bunch, and I'll explain why here in a second. To the church in Rome, he said, I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. 
And then at the end of that same letter, he says, I have, I have been longing for many years to visit you. I plan to, to do so when I go to Spain. It's really cool. We get to hear that the Apostle Paul is getting ready to go to Spain uh, to start more churches, but also spend some time in the sun. I mean, because who doesn't want to go to, to Spain? Uh, he's telling us, we're longing, I'm longing to go there. But he says, by God's will, here's why I think this last one especially is really cool. Because when you read the book of Acts, we find that actually Paul never made it to Spain. And what's more is he did make it to Rome, but he didn't make it as a traveler. He made it as a prisoner. And yet, what is Paul's response in the midst of all that? Joy. Actually, if you read the book of Philippians, which we did and went through as a church a year or so ago, uh, it's just joy after joy after joy while he's in jail in Rome. He's just a joy-filled guy. How is that possible? When he was yearning, he says, longing to see people, and by the way, as God's messenger, how is he filled with so much joy? Because his confidence wasn't in his plans, his confidence was in his God. And I think that's what James is saying here in this text. He wants us to have a similar attitude. Paul knew that Jesus would work even in the bad things for good. And James is saying we need to accept our limitations. We need to lean on God's will more than our own. And then finally, we need to be flexible. Look at verses 16 and 17. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Uh, Here then is the test. In what way do you relate to God when it comes to your plans? You know, I think so often, uh, if and when we bring God uh, our plans, we print out a little copy, and it's the final version. You know what I'm saying? It's like we don't print out the editable version. We, we, we give them, here, here's, here's the permanent one, here's the permanent ink one. You know, we write it in Sharpie, and we, like, bring it to them, which all parents know what Sharpies are because they're the devil. Uh, you know, my, my kids are just, like, writing their plans on my sofa in permanent ink. Just to, we, we bring God our, our plans in permanent ink, and we say, hey, God, here's here's our plans. Here's what I'm thinking. Someone told me I should bring them to you, so I'm bringing them to you, and I figured I'd save you the work in terms of how it ought to pan out in my life. So here you go. What do you think? Thanks. Um, I feel like often what we can do when it really gets down to it at the heart level is come to God in that, in that way. Now, again, James is not saying don't make plans. He's just condemning the self-importance, the self-determination in which we come to our plans or bring our plans to him. And, he's, and, and, and James is saying he's giving us a bit of a rebuke. He's saying we must acknowledge God in our plans, seek him, for when we don't, for when we fail to do so, it leads to his word, sin. Which really, sin at the end of the day, you know what it does? It separates us from God. Um, For instance, when we plan in these ways, uh, it can weaken our prayer life. You know, our prayer life can become a more stamp of approval, you know, type transaction with God. Here it is. Would you you approve of this? Um, But if you're like me, my prayer, often isn't so much rooted in the busyness of life as it is in my own self-confidence, that I can do this, that I can achieve this, and God, hey, would you you sprinkle some blessing on it? Um, So we need to ask ourselves, are we living in such a way that we recognize God's authority over our lives? Are we actually seeking His will? This should be the posture of our hearts. Okay, so then how then do we make our plans? How do we, uh, where do we go f- for guidance? Let's think about three things, and then we'll, we'll bring this all together. One, we go to God's Word. 
I hope this is really redundant to you if you've been coming for our James series. It's all about faith in action. Uh, how can we have faith in action? We must first be hearers of the Word. Uh, if, you, if you remember, what, what James has said multiple times over this whole, this whole letter is, we need to be doers of the Word, but in order to be doers of the Word, we first must need to, we need to hear it. And so that includes bringing our plans to God's Word and just trying to understand them in the, uh, our plans in, the, in, in context to God's Word. Now, here's how it often works. It can, you know, for, for Christians, it can be like, you know, man, I want to go to God's Word and get the specific instructions for my specific thing. Like, God, show me the Bible verse for which job I should take. Show me the Bible verse for this promotion or where I should go. Um, here's what I'd say is start with clarity. You know, God's, God's Word has so much clarity on things that, that are really straightforward of what God's will is for your life and mine. Start there. God wants you to become holy, for instance. He wants you to become sanctified. He wants you to abstain from sexual immorality. We, he wants us to come giving him thanks and praise. He wants us to love our neighbor as ourself, and so on and so forth. Start with clarity. If there's something that God has in your life that, that he, he's calling you to do, do that. And if he's asking you to not do something based on his word, well, then, word, then, based, then don't do that. Um, but some of us are really convinced that, okay, with my specifics, my career, my sp- the special someone I'm thinking about, where exactly to live, hey, that's not to minimize any of that. But God first and foremost cares about, uh, not about, who, uh, uh, God cares first and foremost not about what you do, but about who you are becoming. He cares about the person who is making the plans. Uh, so we need to start with God's Word. We also need to go to God's Spirit. I've heard it said that without God's Word, we are directionless, but without God's Spirit, we are powerless. Um, the Bible's real about all of this. You know, the Bible calls us into all of uh, certain things to live a certain way, but it also says, and you know what, in your own strength, and your own power, you're probably not going to be able to do it. And I can just testify as a, as a pastor, as a, as a Christ follower myself, that that's more or less how it goes, but God gives us His Spirit to help us in these ways, and we need to ask Him for His help. Um, so when you hear something in the Word, and you feel like it's either too hard or you're tempted to skip over it because you feel like it's irrelevant to you, you can ask him to help you, ask him to guide you. Ask him how, to, how I should use my money, how I should spend my time. Ask him how I can honor him in this relationship or that. Ask him on which neighborhood I should live in or which neighborhood should I raise my kids in. Where should I place my focus at work? Where should I place my focus when I'm not at work? God gives us his spirit to help in all these things. And then finally, we need to go to God's people uh, to help us with guidance. The scripture says, only a fool thinks they are wise in their own eyes. Um, I'm a fan of going to any and everybody who can be helpful when we're trying to figure out our plans, seeking guidance, just getting, just gleaning, you know, casting our net wide and just, just learning, getting wisdom as much as we can. Uh, but there is something I would just say to to my uh, Christian friends here, to going and talking to Christian friends specifically, because hopefully they are themselves seeking God's word. They are themselves uh, filled with God's spirit, and they can help give, uh, help you walk in light of that. But look, the important thing here to say is we can easily say, I don't need others speaking into my life. I don't need accountability. I've got this all figured out on my own, but the Bible says that's foolish, that we all have blind spots. So the question to you is, do you invite people into your life when you're making your plans? Okay, so as we've been considering this, this, this topic that can seemingly feel 
mundane or ordinary, how we go about making our plans, let me just ask, what would this look like if we began to live it out the way James calls us to? What would this look like in our own lives individually? What would this look like for us as a church? You know, I think we begin to see a people more and more devoted to the reading of Scripture and really engaging with it, starting with the assumption that we don't have it all figured out, that we need His help. I think we'd see a people who are devoted to seeing God work in and through them. I think we'd see a people living life together in community, encouraging and spurring one another on. Uh, this should be our banner over all of our plans, if God wills. Uh, if God wills. Not some magical formula, but a posture in our hearts. God, I want what you want. Um, and, I, and I bring it to you in pencil, my plans, not, not in permanent ink. Uh, would, you, would you shape this? Um, one of the precious things uh, for me in this process is almost every week when we're doing, when we're taking offering, we did it beforehand uh, today before the sermon instead of afterwards because we're doing communion. Hey, hey, you know, if you have any prayer requests, write those prayer requests down. We read those. We actually um, pray for them. And a couple weeks ago, somebody tried to call us out on that. I think if you were here, you know that. Like, is someone reading this? Like, yeah, we are reading this. Um, but people will send in their prayer requests, and it's been fun to kind of track and watch that and walk alongside folks in that. As you could imagine, a lot of people in this area, their prayer requests have, to do, have a lot to do with work, career. Hey, I'm, this job, my job scenario is kind of up in the air. My, hey, I don't know how this is going to work out. I, I'm applying to this job or I'm asking for a raise over here just so I can make ends meet. And that's part of the deal here. I mean, you can't survive very long if the career thing isn't working out and it's, it's really, it can bring a lot of stress. And, and obviously, uh, people will bring that in, in, in the form of prayer requests. There's been a few individuals along the way as they've been doing this, and for months we've been praying that one in particular, I've just been like, my goodness, whenever I go and say, hey, how are things going? Things are going great. Oh, really? How's that going with your job? Well, that actually hasn't been going so great. <laughs> you know, it hasn't been really working out the way I thought, but you know what? God is good. And I'm just like, wow. And, you know, a month later, hey, how are things going? You know, I was praying for this other thing that you were asking about related to your job. And, oh, you know what? That's not panning out, but God is good. You know, I'm, you know, I thought maybe it would work out that way, but it's not working out that way. And I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm really excited because I feel like he's moving things in this way or that way, and it's all going to work out great. I'm just sitting here like, that is what we're talking about here. And this individual, I won't, I won't mention them by name because I don't want to embarrass them, is just such a joy-filled person. Just wherever she is, just, there's, there's just joy. There's just emanating from her. I think that's what James is talking about here when he talks about bringing our plans and trusting God and his will in it all. Here are a few questions for us to ponder, just kind of bring it down to takeaways. Um, a couple of questions. How have you been making your plans? You know, have you been bringing others into that? Um, Christians, do you bring God into that? Uh, here's another question. Are you willing to bring your plans to Scripture? Uh, and just kind of let the Scripture speak into them. Are you willing to have God change your plans? Now, as soon as I say that, I'm not suggesting that He's going to take your plans, put them in the, you know, the, the paper disposal, and just like, no, God makes us, He knows who we are. He knows our passion areas. He knows our desires. Chances are He's not going to take your plans and just say, you know what, we're going to scratch that and go. Chances are He wants to move through your passions, your gifts, your skills. But I think we need to be open to him telling us that, hey, I, I, I think this is how that might look. Are we, are we willing to ask, God, your will be done in my life? To me, this all comes down, it all starts in our prayer. I've, I've heard it said this way before, our prayers should be ones that, where we express 
and where we surrender. We express to God our desires, our hopes, our plans, what we're thinking about, which I love, by the way, about, about the Bible and, and what we know about God. There's nothing in the Scriptures that say, hey, God doesn't want you to have the desires. He doesn't want you to dream up and have these wonderful plans. No, He wants to hear those from you. And he wants to walk alongside you with those. So we first express who we are, the difficulties, the anxieties, everything about it. But then we surrender. And we say, God, your will be done, not mine. Of course, the model and pattern for this is Jesus himself, who hours before the cross in the garden was, had tears in his eyes and was looking at the torture, the, the pain, the sorrow of, of it all. He expressed his heart in that moment. What did he say? Father, may there be another way. And yet, where did that prayer end? He expressed, Father, would there be another way? And yet he went on to say, nevertheless, your will be done, not mine. He surrendered. And thank God that he did. Because in doing so, he brought salvation into the world to make it available for you and me if we would just receive what he has done on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. It is to express ourselves in prayer and to surrender for God's greater good that we might not, it might not be how we plan or see it ourselves, but there's always a better thing in store. You know, I heard someone say it this way. The thing about prayer is God doesn't always give us what we ask for, but gives us what we would have asked for if we knew everything he knows. Uh, God wants us to come to him because he's saying, I know, trust me. Um, we can trust him. We can know that we're safe in, our hand, in his hands because ultimately that he laid down his life for us. Our plans can change because he will never change. And that's where we can find our confidence. Our certainty can rest on him and his work. Friends, life is short. Life is fragile. Have you received life in Jesus' name? If you're here today and you're just listening to everything we're talking about and you have never received what Jesus has done for you, that is what the Bible calls the gospel, the good news, if there's anything I'd put before you today, it's this, that the Bible says to all who believe in Jesus, all who receive what he has done for them, he will give the right to become children of God. You can put your faith in him and receive life in his name, a restored relationship with God the Father. And you can act that out, by the way, in taking communion with us if you would like to do that today. But if you, and if you have received Jesus in this love and life uh, that he offers in Jesus and what he did on the cross, uh, let us continue to live from that life because he's given us the confidence, all the confidence we need in, in our future because of what he's done for us. So let, us, let this be our banner song, God, your will be done. Let's pray. Fathers, we approach the table today to take communion, and we remember Jesus' life and death for us, his body broken, his, his blood spilled for us, that we can have life in his name, not because of anything we can do or earn, but because uh, entirely based on what he has done for us, we, we say thank you. We give you praise, and we thank you that we can trust you with something that we just, we're just doing all the time, perhaps even in the midst of this sermon, just we're making plans, making plans left and right. Father, would you help us make good plans? Would you help us make plans in light of eternity? Would you help us make plans recognizing that, you know, we are limited and we need your will? And frankly, and I'll, I'll say this for myself as a confession, I need your will oftentimes when I think I, I don't need it. But Father, would you, would you help us make plans even in spite of ourselves, individually, as a church? We, lo we long to see your kingdom come, your will be done. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.